Revelation 20 is where we'll be tonight. And verses uh, 7 through 10. As we're preparing to get into this particular section of the scriptures, I, I do want to mention, though, that um, if you're keeping tabs on what's going on in the world today, it's a mess. But we were told it was going to be a mess 2,000 years ago. And we need to start paying attention to what God has been telling us. All the things that are going on in the Middle East today, especially in Israel, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that they're still being bombed by Hamas and they're still having to deal with those issues. But uh, something that has taken at least our national attention away from Israel has been, of course, the things going on in Ferguson, Missouri, which is a different kind of problem, but it's still a problem that the Lord told us would be happening. That we would find ourselves in times of lawlessness and the love of many waxing cold. But even greater still is what's been happening in in Iraq with ISIS, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. Others call it ISIL. The, Iraq, the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, the Levant, of course, being that whole area of the world, that whole section of the Middle East, where they have actually become stronger and probably more uh, capable of causing terrorism throughout the world than even Al-Qaeda. And, of course, if you didn't know it already, but uh, they, they took an American journalist and they beheaded him. And they threaten the same if our president doesn't stop the bombings over there. I don't want to go into any kind of issues with all of that for now, but some of you know me and talking to me personally about this issue. Know that this is is quite a black eye on on this country. And... um, we could, we could talk for hours for the reasons why, but I think we all know why. I think there is a sense of, of God's judgment and awakening upon this country. We can argue that issue, but I'm not going to argue with anybody. God is judging us as a nation. I've never seen floods like I saw this morning on the TV in in Surprise, Arizona, not far from here in Phoenix area. So many things happening here. The tornadoes, the hurricanes, everything that goes on. We have to be awake. God is trying to get our attention. First, he wants the attention of the church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We have to be serious about praying for this country. And then we need to be equally serious about praying for the peace of of Jerusalem. Because that's a biblical command. To pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
And then what we need to also do is realize that at any time and at any moment, Jesus can come. And after watching some of the things on TV this week, he can come at any moment now. And I'm not going to tell you when, because no man knows the day or the hour, as the scripture says. But we all should know the signs of the times. And there are plenty of them. And there are plenty for us to stir our hearts about getting serious with God and with Jesus. So now, as we get into chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, not really get into it because we've already started. This is our third week in, in this chapter. And it's important that we take this time to go through it. But as we get into it now, we are dealing with the, the time known as the millennium or the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ. We're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight and something that happens at the very end of that reign, or, or at least the very end of that time frame, which is dealing with Satan, that old serpent, the devil, or the dragon. I want to start reading in verse 7 because we've already looked at the first six verses. Now, it says, when the thousand years have expired. So two things. There is a thousand year period and it does come to an end. So it has a beginning and it has an end. And if the Bible tells us it's a thousand years, then it's a thousand years. So when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. One of, the, one of the toughest things for people to understand in the scriptures is why that happens. We'll talk about it. And will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, or Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So much for the war. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now during the thousand year reign of Christ Jesus upon the earth as he rules from his throne in Jerusalem the earth will be experiencing what can only be considered as the answer to millions and millions and millions of prayers. And you know what prayer that is? It's the very prayer that Jesus taught us, if you will. He, he taught us the pattern of prayer in this way. He said, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now get this part. Thy kingdom come... Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Now this is the Luke passage. In, in Mark it's a little different. We're all more familiar with the Mark passage. But, but this is more concise in the, in the fact that it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Well, how is it in heaven? There's certainly no chaos in heaven. There's certainly no sin in heaven. What is in heaven is going to be on earth. And that's the answer to the prayer, the thousand year reign of Christ. Now, the victory chant 
of this time will be resounded as it already has in Revelation 11 verse 15 because this is what it's pointing toward. It says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. So, He reigns for a thousand years on this earth, but then, of course, He continues to reign into eternity. And how long is that? Forever. Yeah, there you go. Somebody's been around here long enough to know how to answer. So there shall be peace and righteousness at last among all nations. Now that's good, isn't it? That's good. Because right now there's no peace among the nations. There's all kinds of, 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 uh, of, of uh, wars. I mean, even Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars time and again. And that's what we see. Not only wars with nations, but look at, look at what's happening as, as we see this, this war even in, in our own country, in, in, in Missouri. These, these are battles, these are wars. And it's all the devil who stirred them all up. So there's going to be a peace and righteousness at last among all nations. A peace and righteousness that man cannot influence. And the devil cannot influence for a thousand years because he's bound. But it is a peace and righteousness which Jesus Christ himself has perfected and has completed. Now this chapter contains but a mere statement of the dispensation of the millennial kingdom. So much more is said about this period in the Hebrew scriptures through the prophets of Israel, especially... Isaiah, for it says in Isaiah, and by the way, uh, boy, we could be here all night looking at all of the references to the kingdom, this thousand-year reign of Christ, uh, from all of the all of the prophets. But let's start with Isaiah, and, and actually at the back of the book of Isaiah, and then moving forward, Isaiah sixty-five verse nineteen says, "I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard." In her, nor the voice of crying, no more shall an infant from there lie. Uh, I'm sorry, no more shall an infant from there live, but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die one hundred years old, but the sinner, being one hundred years old, shall shall be accursed. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, people will start living long lives again. Like if you remember back in Genesis early on, you know we had those people living. Four, five, six, seven, eight, hundred, nine hundred years. Methuselah, nine hundred and sixty-nine years. The people will start living long again, and so this is to reference that that uh, even an infant, you know, uh, will be you know a hundred years old, and and uh, or you can see somebody that's walking in the street there that, that might be a hundred or two hundred years old, and you, and you just say, hey there, young fella, you know, because. They're going to be pretty young. Life is different. The whole world. You see, the, the thing is, the, the curse will have been removed from the earth. Because Jesus will be reigning from Jerusalem on the earth. So the curse is removed. All right, so there's some more things like that. For example, Isaiah 65, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. A lot of people used to say the wolf and the, and, or the lamb and then the lamb. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's more appropriate to understand the wolf and the lamb. Because those are natural enemies. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion uh, shall eat straw like the ox. And, and, and dust shall be the serpent's food. 
as, as it always has been. Uh, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. But you go further forward to in the, in the book and you find other passages. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child, uh, verse, uh, Isaiah 11, verse 8, the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's uh, den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now that's very important, that the earth shall be full of the, Lord, the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As much as we would like to say that everybody, or a lot of people know around their world, you know, about the knowledge of the Lord, we, the world doesn't know the Lord. And this is dealing with the knowledge of the Lord and having the knowledge that He is who He is and that He's in control of all things at this time. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, that's Jesus, who shall stand as a banner for the people. For the Gentiles shall seek Him and His resting place shall be Glorious. So this is just a little bit of what we're seeing that's going to happen in a thousand years of Christ's reign. Isaiah 2 verse, verse 4, it's in two parts here. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. How many of you heard that before in a different context? These are words that are put in the United Nations building. Uh, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Hasn't made a difference in the United Nations, but they have it up anyway. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's the desire, uh, the original desire of the United Nations. Today, uh, they don't do that. But now there is an amazing prophecy. And by the way, there, there's many others. Uh, the book of Zechariah, for example... Uh, the, the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem, by the way, is very important there, chapters 12 through 14, and all of that. Uh, the book of Job, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the book of Joel, uh, very important where it comes to the, the day of, uh, of Christ's reign, and, and so on. So it, all the prophets, uh, there are so many uh, of them that refer to it. But now there's an amazing prophecy added to all of this that will be fulfilled at the end of the millennium, and that is that Satan is to be released from the prison that will hold him, and he will be permitted to lead one last revolt against the Lord. Now let's remember the words of verse 3, because we've got to go back to our text in Rome, uh, Revelation 20, verse 3. It says, and it says, And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years were finished, but after these things, notice this, but after these things, he must be released for a little while. And King James, I believe it says, for a little season. Now this is so interesting, that Satan will be released for a little while. In verse 7 of our text, the fact is reiterated. But the question that is most often asked about this is why? Why must Satan be released and permitted to return to the earth? Why must he be allowed to be loosed for a season to deceive the nations and to gather them for battle against the Lord? Surely there must be a reason or else the necessity of it wouldn't be stated so emphatically. 
Twice it's mentioned in the same chapter. So there's a reason. Let me give you first a simple reason and then a more detailed explanation. Why must Satan be loosed? Simple, simple answer. Because following Jesus must be a choice. Because following Jesus must be a choice. You see, God doesn't want programmed robots to follow Jesus just because. Ever heard that phrase? How come you're doing that, little Johnny? Oh, just because. Are we to follow Jesus just because? Love isn't love unless it's a choice we make. From the very beginning of of man, God gave us something. God gave us what some theologians call free moral agency. We know it better as free will. Now, there's a tremendous debate about this in the church between Calvinists and Arminians and all of that. But suffice it to say that we need to remember that we're, we're uniquely created in God's image and we were created uniquely to choose and to make choices even in the garden think about this even in the garden of Eden man and woman were given a blessing and they were given a command they were given a blessing You can eat of all the trees in the garden. You can eat fruit from all the trees in the garden, except for one. So they had the run of all the garden and fruit from all the trees, except for one tree and its fruit. And then the command was, of course, not to eat of that one tree. That was the simple command. We studied this a long time ago. Almost seems like many years ago. In a galaxy far, far away. But Genesis chapter 3. And obviously, choices were made. In the garden, choices were made. One choice was to eat of that tree, and the other choice was to disobey God's command. In fact, it's really the other way around. There was the choice to disobey God's command and the choice was made to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Even, listen, even knowing, even knowing what the consequence would be. See, now keep that in mind with where we're going in all of this tonight. Again, why must Satan be loosed? A little more detailed explanation. Why must Satan be loosed He is loosed as a reminder and as a proof that the heart of man is evil and can only be changed by the grace of God. The heart of man is evil and can only be changed by the grace of God. Time does not change the nature and character of Satan or of man. 
Time does not change the nature or character, or the nature and character of Satan or man. Both Satan and human nature are incurably evil and impossible of self-improvement. Please remember this as believers in Jesus Christ. You came to the truth of the knowledge of, of, of God in Christ Jesus, and we learned immediately that all of us are sinners. All of us are sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. What does the world say? The world says that man is essentially good. You tell me that man is essentially good in the midst of what we see happening in this world today. It tells us enough that man is essentially evil. As a matter of fact, we're told that in Genesis 6 verse 5. And then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Not just whenever, but always. And of course, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What heart? The heart of man. So now the real tragedy in all of this is that people will have been living in a perfect environment where peace, justice, and righteousness exist. And I'm talking, about, of course, about the millennium and the millennial reign. Living under the most perfect government to ever exist on the earth since creation. It is the government of Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, God's Son, a thousand years and still people will rebel against their king now just remember something whether in the garden of Eden in our day and time now or in the millennial kingdom to come Satan brings temptation Satan brings temptation. Now, they've been living under the rule of Christ. We know that he rules with a rod of iron. For a thousand years, things are in control. Until Satan is loosed. And what does Satan do? He deceives through temptation. Satan brings temptation. But here's the problem. The choice will be theirs. As the choice was for us. There's a precious little statement that God makes in the Old Testament to, to man. He says, very simply, choose life. Choose life. So that also tells us, if the Lord is saying that to us, that there's a choice that we can make. Either we choose life, 
or in not choosing the life that God gives, we make the other choice automatically. That is why we always say there's no middle ground. Because if you choose to be neutral, you've made your choice. And it is not for God. And it is not for Jesus. If I'm not mistaken, the following comes from the work of Dr. John Barnett, but it makes clear from beginning to end the, the, the dilemma of man. Let's, let's kind of follow along here. Tested in the garden of delight, man broke through the only prohibition laid upon him. That was that one sin in the garden. Tested under conscience, corruption and violence filled the earth and the world had to be cleared by the flood. That was Genesis 6 verse 5, which, which we, you know, God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Tested under the restraining influence of divinely appointed government, man fell into idolatry and turned away from his creator. We see much of that in the book of Judges, but a lot of that in the, in the Old Testament. Tested under law, man cast off restraint and crucified the Lord of glory. Tested under grace. Now think about this. Tested under grace, man has shown himself utterly unable to appreciate such mercy and has rejected the only means of being saved. And lastly, when tested under the personal reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, after 1,000 years of unparalleled righteousness and peace, man will be ready to listen once again to the voice of the devil. Think about that. That is what we're looking at here in this little section of this chapter. And, and again, it brings to mind other things that we see in Scripture that are eternal because they have been given to us by God through the prophets and through the, the apostles. In this case, the apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 7, when he says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, uh, the one who wills to do good. You know, Paul says, you know, I want to do what's right. I want to do what's good, but, uh, but I find that evil is present with me for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members in the body uh, oh wretched man that I am and, and you see Paul here is recognizing he's really talking about himself and, and he said oh wretched man that I am I gotta stop here and think about one, one thing I, I, I get really upset when I, when I hear people change the words to amazing grace how, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me uh, people don't want to call themselves wretches anymore so they they, they, they change the words of the song and they say, yeah, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves someone like me. No, oh, you're a wretch! And you know it. And you really got to show it. You're a wretch. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul says, I am wretched. He knows what he is outside of that relationship with Jesus Christ. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And just that first part of verse, seven, uh, verse 25, I thank God it is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus. You see the importance of knowing Christ. 
the importance of the work of Jesus on the cross and we receiving that knowledge and, and accepting that truth and, and, and saying, I, with my mouth I confess the Lord Jesus and with my heart I believe that He's risen from the dead. I mean, we just, we just can't be academic about this. It can't be just in our minds. It's got to come down to our hearts. It's got, it's got to come down to the very fiber of, of our being and who we are. And the fact of the matter is, nowhere does the Bible say that we are sinners because we sin. The Bible says that we sin because we're sinners. We have to understand that. And we have to understand that about what we see here in the book of Revelation chapter 20. So with that in mind, let's, let's, let's look at, uh, at these verses, verses 7 through 10 again. I want to read it again. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. So that's a tremendous multitude there. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. Of course, that's Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It is essential to remember one thing. Remember this. The millennial reign of Christ will begin with all redeemed people. I hope I got your attention. The beginning or the millennial reign of Christ will begin, the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ begins with all redeemed people. How do we know this? Let me say it a different way. No unsaved person will enter into the millennium. And remember, there are nations that survived the wars against God and against Christ that lead up to the millennial reign of Christ. So there are people on the earth. And they'll come from all the corners of the earth, actually, to Jerusalem, something that you can read in the book of Zechariah, that uh, will encourage you that their nations will come to worship the Lord there. And actually in other places as well. But no unsafe person will enter the millennium. Now, here's where we see that in Isaiah 60, verse 21. Also your people shall all be righteous. Well, Jesus is reigning on the throne when he gets there. So all the people will be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. But during the millennium, during the thousand years, it's already, we've already seen glimpses of that in some of the verses that we read about the time of the millennium, that there will be infants, there will be children, there will be children born. I mean, there will be physical people on the earth. And during the millennium, children are going to be born to these redeemed people on the earth. And then after having been born and reared in a perfect moral and spiritual society, they will be deceived by the devil. It takes us back to the garden. Look at the garden, the perfection of the garden. Look at the perfection of Adam and Eve. Until the serpent 
was allowed to come. And the serpent spoke deceptive words and words of doubt. Did God really say that? God doesn't want you to be like him, but if you eat of this tree, you'll be just like him. Deception. Temptation. So they will be deceived by the devil choosing to follow him. Listen. We know what he's been like. A created being, an angel. Many believe that he was a cherubim before the throne room of God. That he was some worshipful leader of of the angels before the throne of God. Before God created the heavens and the earth, or the earth as we know it. And he fell. And a third of the angels, because of his deception, fell with him. If he could lead a third of the angels away from that position before God, how can he not lead those who have lived even in a perfect society, yet they're still carnal, they're still people, they're still in flesh? Don't let Hollywood fool you into thinking that man is going to evolve into some great kind of God-man. No man will be man, because there's only one God. Satan will obviously, by his deception, be able to discredit God's dealings, as he did in the garden, and thereby lead the nations astray in this revolt. Their subjection to God is going to be mere lip service. To some, I mean, for most, if, if you think about it, I mean... Especially those who, who will eventually be led astray. I mean, there, there'll be a lot of lip service. I mean, Jesus is in charge. He's in control. He rules. And, and there's, there's, a, there's a, a certain kind of fear, of course, if, if God is ruling with a... If Christ is ruling with a rod of iron. But by the way, let, let me just put it this way. It is some, but not all. Some, but not all. And it will be many, as verse 8 of our text suggests, because it says it's the sands of the sea. Well, you might be wondering where these masses of people come from. Now remember that the millennium will be the time of Earth's greatest population explosion from, uh, well, the greatest explosion of population simply because the curse will be removed from physical Earth. The curse is going to be removed, which means that it will yield its greatest food production. And if the curse is removed from the earth for a thousand years with Christ on this earth, then that means that disease will be completely eliminated as well. Again, the conditions of the garden. Everything was perfect. And even when the garden was perfect with only two people, did man have a problem? So can you imagine multitudes? So what remains unchanged? What remains unchanged? The human heart. The human heart. Now, we saw a mention of Gog and Magog, and and 
we're do, we don't have time to go into the connections between that and, and Ezekiel 38 and 39 where they're prominently mentioned and the war that is usually considered to be Armageddon Ezekiel 38 and 39 uh, I want to cover that someday but not, not right now but let me just say that uh, the Gog and Magog that's mentioned here in chapter 20 are not necessarily the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39 now very quickly Gog is, is a word that actually in, uh, points out a, a, a person who is a leader uh, it isn't a place, it isn't a nation it's a person as a matter of fact the name comes from actually a Turkish name so there's some connection to Turkey in all of that and Turkey is going to play a lot more of a, of a role in the end times than, than a lot of people think so there's Gog and then there's Magog which is a section of Asia Minor a large section of, of of, of, of Asia Minor that covers uh, northern parts of, of um, above Israel and all. So Gog and Magog, you know, are in a way naturally the great enemies of Israel and they're going to come down in Ezekiel 30 and 39, you know, to, to defeat uh, uh, Israel or, or at least seek to defeat it. They won't because of, of God and of Christ. But uh, Magog is actually really dealing with that section there. Some people have thought it's other places, but no, it's, it's, uh, it's that. But we'll, we'll get to that one of these days. So while the names are the same, the conflicts differ in relation to time, location, and participants. So when you connect uh, or compare, as it were, Ezekiel 38 and 39 with, with uh, Revelation, uh, the names are the same, but a lot of different uh, things happening. They're mentioned maybe because the battles are similar. In this sense, the, battle, the battles are similar in nature in that Satan will inspire men to war against God. That has to be done in Armageddon. At Armageddon, it has to also be done at, at the end of the, uh, of the millennial reign. So I think that's one reason why uh, Gog and Magog are mentioned. Now, verse 9 of our text tells us that the attack will be against Jerusalem, the beloved city. Now, it is amazing to me that the enemies of our great and awesome God will be bent on destroying the very place of Christ's throne on earth. What does that tell you? It tells us that Satan hasn't stopped with his desire to rule and to reign. In other words, he hasn't learned his lesson. And in, in fact, he never will learn his lesson. He still wants to be the Most High. He wants to sit in the Most High place. And he'll destroy it so that he can do that. But even more amazing, and it's, it's not anticlimactic, by the way, but even more amazing than anything else, it's how quickly the attack is ended. When the Lord sends fire from heaven and devours them. That's it. They come, you know, it's very interesting when you, when you go back to the text. And you see how they're surrounded there. If you look at verse 9, it says, They went up on the breadth of the earth and encompassed, encompassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. It sounds to me like every time... The enemies of God and of, uh, and of Israel would surround the, the, the city of, of Jerusalem. 
and lay siege on the city, but they were surrounded. I mean, they're using the same tactics as, as the, the tactics of the enemies of, of Israel before. That's, that's why I say I don't think they learned their lessons. And he doesn't learn his lesson. And he surrounds it. What's the next thing that happens? Fire. Boom. Yes, todo. It's done. It's over. They don't even get to pull back their bow. Or cock the rifle. Or prepare their computer to set off whatever. It's over. It's done. I mean, our God is truly a consuming fire, isn't He? You know, the enemy knows the Word of God so well. But like so many other people, they like certain parts of it, they don't like others. We better like this. God is a consuming fire. Hebrews tells us, uh, Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. You can't shake the kingdom of God. Whether on earth or in heaven, you can't shake the kingdom of God. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Yes. That's all I want to say, man. Yes, our God is a consuming fire. And we have nothing to be ashamed about. Because our God is also our shepherd. Our God is also our redeemer. Our God is our king. Our God is our father. Our God is our Lord. Our God is our master. And he does no wrong. Ever. You know, it's also significant, by the way, that, that Gog and Magog are destroyed by the same means. In Ezekiel 38. Look at Ezekiel 38, verse 22. And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Very, very same way. Gog and Magog will be destroyed. Just a different time. And then without further, further delay, Satan is cast into the lake of fire. Verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. We saw them go in there back in chapter 19. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Is, is that just... Uh, Figurative language. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Because some people say, well, you know, it's not really going to happen that way. Why not? That's what it says. Always more people would trust what the Lord says. The, the devil who tormented us for thousands of years is finally going to get his torment. And his, you know, our torment came to an end with Jesus. It really did. Our torment in this life came to an end with Jesus Christ. 
Doesn't mean we haven't gone through afflictions and troubles and trials and tribulations. Even Jesus himself said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So with Jesus, our torment is over. But because he tormented the world, he will be tormented forever and ever in hell, in this lake of fire as it were, forever and ever. It just won't stop. This, this is his destiny. And so there, together with his accomplices, Satan will be tormented day and night, day and night, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that's a long time. Whereas we will be with God and Christ forever and ever and ever and ever, and that never end. The difference is, though, as we get into the next two chapters of this, cha- of this book, we're going to find out we will be before the throne of God in a new heaven, a new earth, where righteousness dwells, a new Jerusalem, and we will praise Him forever and ever and ever. There will never be any darkness. There will be no night. There will only be light, and the light comes from the glory of His throne. And we will praise Him forever, and we will, we will have things that God wants us to do, and we will accomplish all of those things, because we will just love being in His presence forever and ever. And that's the way it's going to be. Which do you choose? Because there's a choice. You see, the devil, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, as Paul calls him in in Ephesians chapter 2, has already had his judgment secured and assured at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where it was assured. The judgment of the devil was assured on the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that. Turn to John chapter 12. Jesus tells us in verses 31 through 33. Now is the judgment of this world. Now remember, he hasn't yet gone to the cross. But it's not very soon after this that he goes to the cross. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. These are the words of Jesus. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. I will draw all men unto me. And the reason he says that, it tells us in verse 33, is that he signified what death he would, would be. And everybody knew that if he was lifted up, he would be crucified. Where did he live? He lived in Judea. Who was in charge of Judea? The Romans. And that was their most popular form of execution. He said, and that... And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men and peoples unto myself. The ruler of this world will be judged. That's what he said. Now is the judgment on this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. But the actual execution of the sentence, the actual execution of the sentence is yet to happen until the end of the millennium and his last rebellion. And certainly, hell is the place prepared for the devil and his angels, the lake of fire, as it is called here. But listen to Jesus in Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, You cursed, 
unto the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This lake of fire wasn't prepared for man, but because man has rebelled and disobeyed God, had chosen to reject not only the Word of God, but the Messiah of God, the, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And they will partake of that, even though it was created for the devil and his messengers, his angels. We're told in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Again, it is just showing us that this was what this place was designed for, the devil and his angels. The very being that brought untold sorrow and suffering to all of mankind must now suffer for all of eternity with no relief whatsoever. And so let me close with these thoughts. First of all, God cares for you. God cares for you. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Who's the high priest? Jesus. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, I want you to listen carefully. When I say hold fast, stand strong. Stand strong and firm in your confession of Jesus Christ. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. You know what double negative means? A positive. <laughs> it means we do have a, a, a high priest who does sympathize. So we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly, by the way, confidently. Come confidently. Sometimes we, we kind of take boldly out of context, you know. Boldly does not mean uh, arrogantly. It, it means confidently. Come confidently to the throne of His grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Ah, oh, listen, I, I just want to keep telling you to keep going to Jesus. Keep coming to His throne where He is today for us. And folks, do you know where that is? Where does He reign in us today? But in our very hearts. He has come into us. And He knows us. And we're still in flesh. We still make decisions sometimes that are not good decisions. Sometimes they're poor decisions. Other times they're very good decisions. And a lot of times the reason why they're great decisions is not because we thought of them, it's because the Lord says, you better do this. And if we do them, we get blessed. 
Time to remember those things. But it's all because God cares for us. Now, as we look to, the, to that day uh, that's, that's coming, God controls all things. Let's remember that. God cares for you, and God controls all things. So you can be thankful that He cares for you, and that He's in control of everything that's taking place and everything that's happening, especially in these end times. As a matter of fact, listen to this prayer. Some of you know, some of you know who, who, who prayed it. This is the test before you leave. You cannot leave if you, if you don't pass the test. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? No one can. Why? Because God's in control. And you know who said that? Nebuchadnezzar. If you said Daniel, you get to stay after class. Nebuchadnezzar, when he finally came to himself, And God showed himself. And he realized God was in control. Lastly, God communicates his way with us. He hasn't hidden anything from us. Don't ever believe what hidden societies or secret societies have to say to you. Be careful when you see things like the secret. Man, that's new age garbage, okay? So be careful. God hasn't kept anything secret from us. If He has, it's for our own good. But He has communicated His truth. As a matter of fact, what's the name of the book of Revelation? Revelation! That means revealing! (laughs) How much can we miss from that? He communicates His way with us. Deuteronomy 29.29 The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of, his, of this law. He, do, he's, he hasn't held back what we need to know. And what we have read, it is for our good. If you read the book of Revelation, as we're told at the beginning and at the end, it tells us that if we read this faithfully, God is going to bless you. I am really wanting to read this faithfully with you and learn from it so that you will receive his blessing. And we have it if you have eternal life in Christ. I hope you do. Shall we pray? There's one more picture, I think. Ah, I like it. Father, we thank you.